live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Well, good evening around the world. Welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davey, and we welcome you to our show. Hope everybody's having a nice day. It's uh, beautiful out here in Arizona. I assume it's the same way in California. I know they have a lot of wildfires that are going on over there. Uh, We have some here in Arizona as well. And um, I guess we're all trying to have everybody stay safe from those things, and and, and especially the COVID, which is picking up more with the variant uh, in all all our states. So it's kind of a scary situation. And uh, Chris, how's everything by you? Good. Speaking of fires, we had a local fire right above where I live in uh, Claremont, California. A little bit scary, but they got it contained, and uh, so everything's in good stead today. Good, 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 good. And and we have the, the purveyor of Maven's Notebook, Miss Chris Austin. Chris, how are you doing? Is there any fires up by you? No, it's been actually pretty good up here in, in northern L.A. County. Um, you know, we haven't had any fires around us touch wood for... You know, for a while. Hopefully that'll continue. So, uh, so far, so good. Not not so good up in Northern California. There's a no. lot of fires. They, I heard today one, one of the fires, I think the Dixie Fire, just totally wiped out one of those little gold rush era towns called Greenville. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah just wiped it out. So, uh, really dangerous situation up there. I hope everybody is, you know, evacuating and staying safe. Yep. But uh, terrible, terrible white wildfires. Wow, it's crazy. You know, I was reading in your uh, in your uh, your blog today uh, about these cannabis farms, how they're stealing water. But what's interesting, there's like eight thousand registered. I guess you have to be registered to grow cannabis in California, and it's supposed to be 8,000 registered, but, but just in Humboldt County, they mapped 15,000 farms. <laughs> and, and I guess, I think, well, you know, what, what I don't know is because there's a lot of fires going on, what happens when the fields burn? Do people get high? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't do that stuff, but I'm just curious. I mean, what happens when you're, you're going through the, you know, the fire out? And you got acres and acres of pot up there. What what happens? I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Flock downwind. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's happening with, with with the people though? I mean, with the, those farms, those un, uh, illegal farms who are stealing water. I mean, fifteen thousand just in one county when there's uh, when there's supposed to be only eight thousand in the whole state. What's happening? Well, with the, what are they going to do about the water they're taking from everybody else? Uh, uh, you know, up, up in Humboldt County and, and Mendocino County, uh, you know, <laughs> most people recognize those names. Uh, they've been uh, having a pot industry there for decades, regardless of what the legal status was. And actually, right. before they started... Uh, talking about uh, when they were talking about putting the proposition on the ballot for people to vote on they were actually having meetings city council meetings discussing how they were going to brand their pot coming out of Humboldt and Mendocino County 
you know, they, they were they've been planning this out. Uh, you know, I, the the big hope I think was that by legalizing cannabis, if everybody voted, the voters voted, so now it's legal. That maybe we could, uh, you know, stop some of stop the illegal growing practices and bring people into the fold where they are, you know. That where they're not impacting the environment or impacting other people. And it was, you know, the people in up in, I think, Humboldt, I was reading about it. They, I mean, they were talking about how, you know, people had generators running all night to feed their pot greenhouses, you know, when it was yep. illegal. I mean, it was just all over the place. And they were drawing from the rivers illegally, and I mean, it, and those that's hugely impactful to other residents in the area. So there was a, a lot of hope that it make it legal, then we can get rid of that. And they've been working on that up there in Humboldt, Mendocino. They got some more work to do, but really, the the water stealing story really was though that out in the California desert, they all these people have just kind of gone out into the middle of nowhere, cleared a piece of land. They're essentially squatting. They don't own it. And they put up these shade tents and they start growing pot. And they have trucks that go in to communities or also um, there are fire hydrants uh, located out in remote areas where you know, so if there is a fire, the firemen have water they can restock their trucks with, and and they're going and they're breaking into these hydrants and they're stealing this water. I mean, and it's really truly is stealing the water, and it has dropped the water pressure and and it's had impact on uh, the communities that are part of that system, and. You know, and not to mention, you know, the fear is that there's a fire, and now because these people have come in and you know stolen the water, uh, you know, it's a, it's a problem. So I I they've been cracking down on it. It's my understanding after the story broke I'm, that they've been out there cracking down on it. You know, you get up in a helicopter and you can fly around, and apparently it's not too hard uh, to find them. Uh, yeah. So. You know, hopefully, hopefully that they're they're taking action on that, and uh, you know, and we can because that's really impactful to citizens that are just trying to live their lives. You know? Oh, that and, and, and real and real farming. I mean, when, you know, I, I I really want them to come uh, somebody to come down hard on these people because again, we got wildfires, we got water shortages, <clears throat> you know, we got unhealthy water in some locations. They they got to stop this stuff, and they can't let them go. And they got to be the only way you're going to shut them, stop them, is to shut them down hard. That's that's my belief. But uh, yeah, anyway, and well, hopefully you know they're out there taking action. Like I said, I haven't really been updated on it, but it's been a big story and it circulated a whole bunch, you know. And really, when it comes down to cannabis as a water using crop it, it's not a particularly thirsty crop i mean it's the the impact for cannabis generally tend to be more you know power impacts because if you have a growing room with 
you you have to have these high intensity lamps and those are hot so then you have to have these high pushing blowing fans to to blow it all out so it really you know sucks up electricity so in terms of greenhouse gas emissions it's it's a it's a problem uh and really not so much water if they're doing it uh you know legally but these people out in uh, the Antelope Valley and the other desert regions are not doing it anywhere near. They're, they are truly stealing water. And I'm sure up in Humboldt and uh, in Mendocino, they're, they're still trying to work through those problems. But it's, they've been longstanding pot growers in that area regardless of legal status. And, you know, it's the, tough. Yeah, the regulations no, I, aren't easy, you know. No, no. I was, you know, I was thinking of Mr. Davy this afternoon because you also had a, an article in there which I think we, he would be interested in, and so am I. Is are we witnessing the collapse of the Pacific salmon now because of all this drought? Oh, uh, you know, it's 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 not good. It's just not good. There's just a lot of things, a lot of factors. Uh, for salmon and that are impacting salmon in California, and you know, we're we're talking contamination, we're talking habitat loss, uh, you know, all, all those sorts of things. But the one thing that's been really devastating in these past few years is the high temperatures. Um, and so now you add that in, layer that in on top of everything else. Uh, yeah, California, the salmon in California is the southernmost uh, salmon population. Uh, the salmon, you know, go all the way up to Alaska, and actually are far more abundant in Alaska. But are you know at this point, but we're the southernmost. Um, salmon population and our temperatures are going up and that's just changing things and uh the loss of the cold water pool again in shasta uh you know that's a that's a huge issue the salmon are spawning there in the water and the water needs to be a certain temperature and that requires you know they they actually in shasta dam they have a what's called a temperature control device, I think it is, where they can release water at lower depths so it's colder, so they can put it in the river so the salmon will, you know, it's good for the salmon. But, again, when the reservoir gets low and it gets down to levels that we're not, we don't really have a lot of experience with, um, it's, you know, people try and guess what's going to happen. And sometimes you lose all the cold water because the water is too low. Um, you know, just simple hot hot air, low water, it warms up. Um, so there's just, you know, there's just so many factors. Um, it, it would be a real shame to lose the salmon because the state and a lot of dedicated uh, scientists have been working so hard, um, yeah. you know, and restoration and science and all that, but but um, it's it's not looking it's not looking good. Mm-hmm. You know. It's important to point out, Chris, that it's 
not just salmon. I mean, salmon gets a lot of, you know, the spotlight because of the sports species that it is and, and uh, food source. But um, a lot of other species, right, estuary fish species, uh, sturgeons and, you know, all that sort of stuff, also impacted by warming sea temperatures, not just in the estuary environment, but also uh, along California coastal waters oh. as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, river conditions are just one aspect, of, one part of the salmon life cycle. And, you know, that you're, you're absolutely right. What, what happens in, you know, the ocean is well, perhaps even more impactful in some ways. Uh, and, and just so, you know, people understand, salmon... They are born in freshwater rivers, in you know, in the gravel, in rivers high high in the Sierras. You know, they 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 start way up in the watershed, and they they form from the eggs. They hatch. They become fry. They which is which doesn't mean food. <laughs> Fry is just what they call the baby salmon. <laughs> okay. yeah. I was going to say, yeah, they do. They have chicken fries. Yeah, yeah. Well, but no, no. So Why can't we have salmon fries? And, and the salmon grow up. They swim down the rivers, and they swim out to the ocean, and they spend two to three years out in the ocean. And then they come back. And, I mean, this is the most amazing thing about salmon. They swim up the river and they go back to the very point where they were born in the very river, the very point where they were born, um, and spawn again. I mean, it's it's they're an incredible species, uh, awesome. I mean, no other word for it. So, yes, the ocean conditions. We've had these heat waves in the oceans where the ocean gets really super warm. Um, and you know, once the once the salmon get out to the ocean, then there's you know you got food and food issues, and and, and you know the salmon also affects the killer whales because the killer whales' main diet is salmon, and so sometimes you hear about the connection between the orca and the salmon. And they have increased, like, they recently increased the critical habitat for orcas to include regions where, you know, salmon are because salmon is such a big part of their diet. And orcas are having trouble, too. So, Not enough seals. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and, and steelhead. Uh, steelhead are an amazing fish. That you know, they steelhead much like salmon. You know, they go out the ocean, they come back, and steelhead climb so far up in the watershed. You'd be amazed. I mean, they actually, if if they can get there, they actually get up to the alpine regions. I mean, the fish swim uphill. And and if you've ever, I mean, have you ever seen the the fish coming back to spawn, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It looks like it's so much work, doesn't it? 
I mean, they yeah. fling themselves up. And <laughs> it's like two steps up, one step back, but they just keep, you know, flinging themselves up, uh, up the river. And steelhead go amazingly high in the in the watershed if they yeah. can. You know, yeah. just it's incredible. Fish. That's some tenacity for sure. Well, I don't know how far they're going up now because look at look at where the reservoirs are, Chris. All the le- low levels reported this week. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's bad. This drought is it's bad out here, and the the reservoirs are very low. They said today uh, the Department of Water Resources announced that uh, they shut down the power plant at Lake Oroville due to low water levels, and I've never heard of it this before the you know 14 years i've been doing water news i've never heard this and they say they've never shut this they never shut the plant down so um i mean it's a bad sign things things are not good we can hope for a wet year next year but i'm not sure that the probability agrees that it could be a wet year next year um but it's it's going to be a, a tough uh Late summer and fall. Do you, do you believe there's going to be mandates instead of just suggestions for people to save water? You think it's going to go into there, what it was before? I think they're going to have to at some point. You know, and it's the the interesting thing is, you know, Southern California isn't really part of the drought restrictions at this time. In part because you know we have water in the water banks and and our supplies you know are are pretty well set but we we really should be part of this conversation we really i mean everybody should all you should always at all times you know not be wasteful with your water use but um, well i think it's uh having having southern california sitting this out and and it and it didn't really help Today, if you notice, one of the stories there uh, was the San Diego County Water Authority says they have surplus water to 2045. Hmm. Now, I gotta admit, I didn't listen to the radio, listen to the video because it was a video and not a written thing. So I don't know how they made that calculation, but they seem to feel that uh, that they are well supplied, and that does not really help. Uh, oh no! We had the assistant general manager from Riverside Public. I'm sorry for Western Municipal Water District. Yeah, and they, yeah. they said they have a, a, enough water for years. So you know, I know there was a lawsuit that Riverside Public Utilities had with, with the state water board the last time we had the big drought. I mean, there's lots of water agencies that have managed very well and have good ground storage of water. Um, you know, I, I probably look that there's going to be more lawsuits when that happens again. Who knows? Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure that they probably will. Although the state water board has tried to implement a sort of an approach that takes all of these things into consideration, and I don't know how close they are to getting that framework finalized. But yeah, you know, it there. There are areas in Southern California that are that don't have to worry about it. Maybe San Diego's one of them. But you know, if everybody outside is starving, 
do you really want to be advertising you're having a feast inside your house? <laughs> you know, come on. <laughs> Some, sometimes no. it's best just to keep your mouth shut. Uh, you know, but, but I, I know they want to. I know they want to reassure that their rate payers that uh, they're okay. And you know, San Diego has done a, an amazing job of diversifying their water supplies for which their rate payers uh, pay dearly for. So, I mean, they should be reassuring their, their rate payers. I just wouldn't, I, I just not sure I'd say, you know, that 25 years out, we're, we're fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, I don't no, think I'd I, put that kind of button on it. No, no, for sure not. So yeah, it's getting, it's getting scary reading about and hearing about all the, all the drought through the, the West and the Southwest and, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what the winter's going to bring. I mean, uh, you know, I they 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 still can forecast stuff, but that doesn't mean it's going to come true. And that's really all it is is a forecast. It's not it's not 100% accurate. You know, I I don't hear the comments anymore about uh, atmosphere rivers or anything like that. I mean, I don't hear that in the talk uh, between people that I've been I've been talking with, and uh, so it's a little it's a little scary about what's happening. And you know, we had uh, we had some people on from uh, from Las Vegas. A couple of weeks back, we talked about how they're they're mandating new laws about uh, uh, unused uh, turf, and you know they're going to limit that to, to new buildings and things. So it's going to it's gonna, and they're going to have the water police out there, and so it's 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 going to get tough. It's going to get tough, but I just hope uh, you know. I hope the government relaxes a couple things and make it easier to get projects through. Is that you know. Somebody can have an idea and you don't see the result for 17 years. That's a that's a long time. So, well, Chris, uh, we're coming up to our commercial. We're coming up to our commercial break. We do appreciate you coming on this week and giving us the latest and upgrade. And, and I guess we should all uh, start a fund to save the salmon because uh, that's going away quick and that's a scary thought as well. I, I, I do remember seeing pictures of the bears standing on the rivers and as they're catching the, the fish as they fly up past them. Uh, and they're going to be starving too, so we're going to be losing a lot of a lot of uh, wildlife as as, uh, as it goes by too. So uh, I don't I don't know what else to say. It's it's a sad situation. So Chris, it thank is, you very definitely. Much. Yeah, and, and for our listeners who really want to get up to date and, and know uh, close to what Chris knows, go to uh, www. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I'm so upset about the seven I can't talk right now. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Go to mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber, become a, uh, a supporter of that. It's a great way to get the latest in California water news and, and more. And uh, we trust it, and it's a great place to go. And congratulations again to her for being nominated to be inducted into the Green Industry Hall of Fame. I know she's going to get to her any day now. And I was talking to the officials of that yesterday. So uh, we're going to be there to support you and, and do a whole bunch of things. So, Chris, thank you very much. We do appreciate you making our show really good. So thanks a lot. We'll All talk right. to you next week. Okay. All right. We're going to take, take a look. Take it easy. Yep. I'll take Hi, a bye, look. Chris. We're going to take a little break. I'll, I'll collect myself so I, I don't mess up again. <laughs> and uh, think about those poor little salmon that are going away and the poor little bears that are going to starve because they can't get food. So it's a sad story. Anyway, we'll be back in just a minute with uh, our uh, featured uh, guests, and uh, we have a, an interesting topic called poop. We all know what poop is, but it's going to be an interesting conversation. So we'll be right back. Stand by.
This is 1050 AM KCAA Loma Linda and 106.5 FM Yucaipa. They love you. They love you not. They love you. Satisfying your customers, it's a full-time job. Want an easy way to make them happy? Try having your ornamentals delivered straight to the job site with Nursery Direct. Could save you and your clients a pretty peony. Think about it, instead of driving to the nearest nursery, picking up the order, and then driving to the job site, the crew's able to begin work right away. That cuts time and labor. Savings you can pass on to your customers, and you can get your plants delivered direct, even if you don't have a nursery branch in your area. Here's another quick tip. Keep a substitutions list on standby for every project so your team knows what to do in case a plant isn't in stock because there's nothing customers appreciate more than a project that finishes on time and on budget. They love you. They really love you. Aww. If you knew there was a pipe cement that works better than the one you're currently using, is better for you and the environment, and costs the same or less, would you buy it? Oh, well, no-brainer, right? Weldon, the trusted leader in solvent cements for over 60 years, is pleased to introduce a new line of solvent cements that does all that. Introducing the Eco-Series line of solvent cements for PVC piping systems. Not only does it work great and set fast, it also has 30% lower solvent emissions and less smelly fumes. A better workplace environment when you're installing pipes. But don't just take our word for it. EcoSeries products are the only solvent cements that are Green Seal certified for environmental innovation for effective performance, improved working conditions, and for use with potable water. Now available in a medium-bodied fast-setting blue formula, 905 Eco, and a regular-bodied fast-setting clear formula, 900 Eco. Pick up a can today from your local distributor and see, smell, and feel the difference, just like Joe Sweat, president of Sunrise Irrigation, did. He said, after using Weldon's 905 Eco, we immediately noticed the application was smooth and there was noticeably less odor than other blue solvent cements on the market. The guys love it. To learn more about Eco solvent cements from Weldon, visit the website at www.weldon.com or call the technical service hotline at 877-477-8327. That's 877-477-8327. This is KCAA. Well, Rob, before we get back on the air, buddy, I guess I got to tell you, I'll, next time we have dinner, I'm going to have to take salmon off the menu, yes? Yeah. So, you know, I, I know I got a little mixed up in there because I was thinking of stuff. You know, it's, you know, we talk about people and farming and everything else, but what about the wildlife? That's going to be yeah. affected by the drought. I mean, I, 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 it was it was a moment for me thinking about it that you know because I never I never do think about that kind of stuff, and all of a sudden I'm stopping thinking. Gee, you know, I, I remember seeing videos of the the, the fish fly, going up the, the stream and the, the bears right. are out there grabbing with the stuff and and all these other yeah. wildlife with contaminated water with the low water. I mean, we're gonna, it's going to be a real problem. So I, I, hope, I hope they settle it some way. Come up it with is. some ideas. Well, let's get so, us off on the second half of the show. The first show was great, but the second half is going to be the crappy session, right? <laughs> yes, it is. It's a dirty session. So, you know, people talk about poop, and people talk about smart poop. Well, Las Vegas, they got uh, a bunch of things happening with poop and what they 
what they do to analyze it in tunnels and things like that. It's a pretty interesting story. Our friend Patrick Watson from Southern Nevada Water Authority brought some people in that, that they're working with, and uh, it's, an inter- it's an interesting little uh, article about what's happening. So let's take it away, Patrick. Going to talk about a very innovative action happening in the Las Vegas area where they are making a move to get rid of, of lawns and non-traditional grass. So I am joined by Bronson Mack. He is Public Outreach Manager with the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Bronson, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Travis, thanks so much for having me. Love to talk about water here in Southern Nevada because it really is an important topic for our community. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to this conversation a lot. So before we dive into what's going on with lawns and and grass out there, what's kind of the latest situation with the water supply in your area? I've seen a lot of the news stories about Lake Mead being at its lowest level since the Hoover Dam was built in the 30s. all the news about the supply in the Colorado River and the, and the basin being real tough. So what's going on there in, in your neck of the woods in the, in the Las Vegas area? Well, Travis, here in southern Nevada, the Colorado River uh, provides 90% of our water supply. And we access that water directly from Lake Mead. Um, we have the smallest slice of the Colorado River pie, if you will, as there are seven states as well as the country of Mexico that all share the Colorado River. So for us here in Southern Nevada, we get access to 300,000 acre feet of water. Uh, It is equal to about 1.8% of all of the water allocation between those seven states and the country of Mexico. So it's a very small amount of water that we get to support a population of 2.3 million people. Um, Now, we do some very unique things with that water to help extend that water supply. Uh, For instance, all of our indoor water use here in Southern Nevada, anything that goes down the drain that you use indoors, it all gets reclaimed, treated to near drinking water standards, and then we safely return that water back to Lake Mead. And for every gallon that we can put back into Lake Mead, we can take another gallon out and bring it into the valley as treated drinking water. So with these shortages, uh, I know there's a lot of talk about allocations and and what's going to have to happen, even cutbacks. I've seen stories in Arizona in particular. What's the situation that you're facing there? Well, we do fully expect that the federal government is going to declare a water shortage on the Colorado River uh, this year. Uh, We expect that shortage declaration to occur in August, and then it'll ultimately be implemented next year in 2022. What that means here for us in Southern Nevada is that we're going to have about 21,000 acre feet less water available to us. So our 300,000 acre foot allocation will get temporarily cut to 279,000 acre feet. Last year, water consumption was about 250,000 acre feet. So we've got a little bit of headroom here, but again, it's just a a reaffirmation for us as to why we need to continue to advance our water conservation efforts and uh, and help this community to to continue to reduce its water use. So with that situation out there with with Lake Mead and and the news about the, you know kind of permanent drought almost what's how are the customers feeling how's the public feeling what's what's the reaction out there? 
Well, you know, we actually maintain a lot of communication uh, with the customers, with the public, helping them to understand that they really play a key role in the future water sustainability of our community. I mean, you have to keep in mind, Travis, that we have invested $1.4 billion in new infrastructure out in Lake Mead. This is for a new intake, intake number three, that sits on the bottom of the lake, as well as a low lake level pumping station that allows us to now pump the full elevation of Lake Mead, meaning that we can pull water from below what is known as the Deadpool elevation. And Deadpool is the point at which no water can pass through Hoover Dam. That means no power generation and no water getting through that dam to meet the downstream needs in Arizona, California, or Mexico. But here in Southern Nevada, because our community has made that investment in this infrastructure, we're going to have access to supplies. Now, that $1.4 billion, yeah, that money didn't fall from the sky, right? That was all water rate payer dollars. It's locally funded. So our community has known now for at least the past 20 years that, number one, the drought is serious. Number two, they play a key role in helping ensure that we have a sustainable water supply and that we're conserving everything that we can. On top of that, Travis, we've got very robust conservation measures. This includes uh, watering restrictions, actually irrigate their, their yards. Uh, if it grows in Southern Nevada and it's outdoors, then it's irrigated. And if it's irrigated, it's irrigated by our drinking water supply. So we really do have a lot of opportunity to communicate. We communicate with our customers seasonally as those watering restrictions change, as well as about water waste prevention, uh, because you can get some fines if you're wasting water. So with that, you know, our community has a good understanding of what the implications are if we aren't conserving water. So that's a great uh, setup for the, the recent news that uh, you all are taking an action to ban, we'll call non-functional grass. You know, I think it's popped up in the news as lawns, right? People's residential lawns, lawns for commercial buildings, non-functional grass. Um, I'll let you explain it better than I. Um, why, why was it decided that that was an action that needed to be taken? And what are kind of the details there of, of what that all means, what that ban exactly is? Well, one thing to keep in mind when you think about Southern Nevada and you think about Las Vegas is that we are a relatively young city. Uh, we are a city that has really grown up around the service industry. Uh, we have, you know, obviously a lot of casinos, a lot of resorts in this valley. They provide a lot of economic opportunity. So regardless of what your education level is, your socioeconomic status, uh, people can come to Las Vegas. They can get a good paying job here. They can get a job with health insurance. They can raise their families and they can put their kids through school. One of the most affordable colleges in the West is right here at UNLV. So Las Vegas provides a lot of opportunity for people. Now, while Las Vegas is a young city, uh, it really was sort of developed as being kind of an oasis in the desert. So Early on, we saw a lot of grass installed in this valley. In fact, every single home in Southern Nevada installed prior to 2003 had grass, not only in the front yard, but also in the backyard. And I'm not talking about a little patch of grass. I'm talking about wall-to-wall -wall carpeting. Front yard, backyard, grass was the number one dominant landscape decision and landscape style that we saw in our residential community. Not only that, Travis, but we also see a lot of grass installed in our commercial developments. These are business parks, 
shopping centers, grocery stores, in the medians of our roadways. All of that used to be grass. Now, grass is obviously, we know, a, a big water user, a bit of a water hog. In fact, it takes about 73 gallons of water every single year per square foot of grass in order to keep it alive here in the Mojave. So we're talking about a considerable amount of water that gets dumped onto grass. Now, if we're using that grass, if we're out there playing you know, soccer on it, throwing the Frisbee, having a picnic on it, that's a grass that serves a function. But that grass that's in the medians, that's, that grass that's in front yards and that's at the shopping centers, nobody is walking on that grass except the individual that's pushing a lawnmower. So it is purely an aesthetic. And we know that there are a lot of other opportunities and a, a lot of other options that are more water efficient than grass. So the Southern Nevada Water Authority in the early 2000s implemented the Water Smart Landscape Program. And that program pays a cash incentive to property owners to replace that grass with water efficient or water smart landscaping. We're talking about going from spray irrigation that puts out gallons per minute to going to drip irrigation that puts out gallons per hour. And so that change is very significant because I just said 73 gallons a square foot for grass. When we look at water smart landscaping, you're looking at about 18 gallons per square foot per year. So about a 55 gallon saving per square foot per year. It is a huge water impact for us. On top of that, the outdoor water here in Southern Nevada is the water that we only get to use once. I talked a little bit about the fact that we recycle and reuse all of our indoor water supply and that is critical. That stretches our water supply, stretches that water allocation, allows us to meet the water demands of this community. The water we're using outdoors, we're only using it once. Now, we agree that we need to have good, diverse landscaping in this valley. You know, the butterflies, the hummingbirds, the bees, they all need flowering plants and things like that in order to continue to survive. Changing that from grass landscaping to that water smart landscaping, it's a huge water savings for us. And so, this new law that has been passed is really an effort to target that grass landscaping that is at those commercial properties. Not so much your residential front yards, because a lot of residents have already changed out their front yards to water smart landscaping. It's the, it's the commercial customers that have been lagging behind. And one of the reasons that they've been lagging behind, Travis, is that a lot of our commercial properties here in Southern Nevada are under different kinds of ownerships layers of LLCs, owners that aren't necessarily here in Southern Nevada. They might be back East or they might be in the Midwest. And they're not necessarily connected to this community's conservation message and conservation ethic. And so this new law, AB 356, it's really going to spur those property owners that have really been derelict in getting rid of their grass and force them to, uh, to make that decision now. Mm. Okay, that's a really big clarification to me, just kind of seeing headlines from afar, reading some of the stories. But this is really focused on driving that change at the commercial property level, less at the residential level, where there's been a lot of change underway already. A lot of people have already ditched trying to have grass at their house, huh? Yeah, absolutely they have. In fact, we've done some analysis and we've determined that we have about 5,000 acres of this non-functional decorative grass throughout the Las Vegas Valley. Now, of that 5,000 acres, about 1,000 resides in the single-family residential sector. So those are the front yards, about 1,000 acres still in front yards. That's 4,000 acres 
of non-functional grass that is at the shopping center, at the ice cream shop, that is at the dentist office, that is in the medians and along our streets that nobody is using. And that 4,000 acres of non-functional turf uses approximately 10% of our total water supply. Now, the Las Vegas Strip as a whole consumes only about 4% of our total water supply. So we have grass in this valley that we drive by at 35, 45 miles an hour every single day that is consuming more water than all of the hotels on the Las Vegas Strip. So this is a sound policy. This is good water policy for us here in Southern Nevada and will really further our water efficiency as a community. You mentioned that there's these programs available to help incentivize homeowners to transition to more native landscaping. Is are there any incentives for these commercial properties other than the law itself uh, to make the change? Yeah, you know, we will continue to offer the uh, cash incentives for these commercial properties to take out that grass. So they'll get $3 a square foot for that first 10,000 square feet and then $1.50 beyond that. Now, we have other incentive programs as well. You know, obviously, with the technology that has moved along with irrigation systems, um, that has been a big benefit to us because every home built here in Southern Nevada has an automated irrigation system. You don't have a lot of homes here where you see the homeowner out there with a hose and a sprinkler moving their sprinkler <laughs> around throughout the day in order to irrigate their grass. Uh -uh. Everybody's got an automated irrigation system. And that actually works to our advantage because when we change seasons and we need the community to change their watering habits going from six days a week in the summertime down to three days a week in the fall and only one day a week in the winter, um, it makes it pretty easy for the homeowners to go out there. They just go to that sprinkler clock, adjust the days in which they're watering, set it, and then they're good to go. Now, part of the challenge with that, however, is that sometimes those sprinkler clocks can be uh, a bit of an enigma. And so what we have seen uh, in new technology are sprinkler clocks that are smarter, that connect with your smartphone. Everybody is comfortable you know, operating things on their smartphone, using the apps on their smartphones. And so we provide cash incentives to change out your sprinkler clock to smart irrigation clocks. We also have cash incentives to install uh, leak detection devices. I know that some of these leak detection devices have even sponsored uh, water loop like the Flume. Um, and so these are the kinds of products that we're out there trying to encourage our community to go ahead and, and install through cash incentives. Awesome. Good stuff. What's the reaction been then from, uh, the public, you know, to this, to this action, to this ban, I guess, especially from commercial property owners, what are you hearing from that segment of the business community? Well, we really worked this process through the Nevada legislature in our last legislative session. And the law was just recently signed by Governor Sisolak, governor of, of Nevada. And throughout the process and working with the Nevada legislature, uh, we were able to show that uh, the business community through our local chambers of commerce, through um, our cities and municipalities, they were all very supportive and even offered testimony uh, during the legislative process to support this type of an effort. You know, I think our business community completely recognizes that we do have a limited water supply here in Southern Nevada. And if they wanna continue uh, to take advantage of this robust and, and prosperous economy that we have here, that they need to be doing their part. 
And some of them absolutely have. I mean, certainly we've had commercial properties that have taken out grass or that have installed smart irrigation clocks. We just haven't seen it to the level that we need to see it. So really moving this law forward was very helpful in that sense. And again, since the business community has been supportive of it, um, we are of the utmost confidence that over the next five years, they're going to be making those changes in their landscape, and we're going to see some significant water savings as a result. So what happens if you have a compliance issue? Um, you know, if, if a commercial property is just not not making that change over, I guess the law has got some enforcement mechanisms or fines or that type of thing built into it. Well, the next thing that we really need to do associated with this law is to put together a stakeholder committee. So we're going to put together a nine-member stakeholder committee that's representative of the various sectors within our commercial uh, industries here in Southern Nevada. And they're going to help us to formulate really some more solid definitions around what non-functional turf really means to them so that when we move into the implementation phase, uh, everybody understands exactly what those definitions are, exactly what those rules are, as well as the deadlines. Now, we're going to also have some considerable amount of outreach that we're going to need to do to the business community and to these commercial property owners. And so through that outreach process, we'll be engaging, communicating with them, helping them understand, number one, what the rules are, what the expectation is as far as, as getting that grass removed by the end of 2026. And those that aren't removed as we get a little close to that deadline, uh, that's when we will certainly be uh, initiating additional communication with them so that they understand that they're going to need to remove it. But ultimately, the law indicates that at the end of 2026, water provided by the Southern Nevada Water Authority from our Colorado River water resources is not going to be used to irrigate non-functional turf. So by the letter of the law, that would ultimately mean that water service to those landscaped areas could potentially be interrupted. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, back to the positive side. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think you, it's fair to say you all are the first, you know, first entity in the country to take a, a measure like this. Is that accurate? You know, it's the first that we're aware of. I mean, certainly there have been other communities that have put in different kinds of prohibitions on grass or on water use. I mean, I remember as a young, uh, a young kid uh, that Tucson, Arizona had some limitations on grass in front yard, and that was back in the 1970s. But as far as any current measures, it really is the first that we're aware of. I mean, we didn't model this after uh, any existing legislation or any existing action. This is something that is purely uh, necessary for us here in Southern Nevada so that we can continue to get rid of that grass that is just drinking, you know, the vast majority of our water supply and make sure that we have reliable and sustainable water resources going forward, especially as we're looking at potential shortages on the Colorado River uh, at the beginning of next year. Well, how do you feel about breaking this ground? How do you all feel about it? I mean, uh, you know, as a as employees at the at the authority and as a community, how do you feel about taking this big step? Is it exciting? You know, that's one of the great things uh, about working for the Southern Nevada Water Authority is that really since the turn of the century, uh, we have been pioneering different conservation measures, different ordinances, uh, and taking different actions in order to further increase our sustainability and our water efficiency as a community. I know that it is a level of pride that we have 
within the organization. I mean, for instance, we go out and we do water waste enforcement. You know, if we see water flowing off of a property, if we see properties that aren't watering on the right day or at the right time in accordance with our seasonal watering restrictions, uh, we will send a water waste investigator out there and either give that property owner a warning um, or potentially a fine, depending on where they are within the process. And I can tell you that the vast majority of the reports that, that come in to our water waste investigation team, they are done by employees. They are done by folks who are you know, out there doing our customer service activities that are working on the pipes and the pumps and the distribution systems, you know, and, and so there is certainly a level of pride that, that we all have in the knowledge and understanding that what we are doing as an organization has a direct benefit, not only for today, but for the future of this community that we all love. Yeah. I can imagine you'll be getting phone calls if you haven't already from some other, you know, districts and municipalities, utilities around the country, uh, you know, especially across the West there that, that need to maybe think about taking similar measures. Um, well, yeah. well, one thing to that point, uh, Travis, is that the Southern Nevada Water Authority actually conducts the, uh, excuse me, the Southern Nevada Water Authority puts on Water Smart Innovations, which is uh, a conference that we do every single year in October. It is the only conference that is dedicated to urban water efficiency. And we attract, you know, folks from throughout not only the water industry, but also through the landscape industry or through the facility management industry. I mean, we're able to bring in all of these different sectors uh, of, of the economy that are responsible for some level of water use or water conservation and bring them together for, for a three-day conference here in Las Vegas where we really do share ideas and better understand some of the best practices that are out there for water efficiency. And so it, again, is just sort of a mark on what the Southern Nevada Water Authority has been doing over the past 20, 30 years in order to advance water conservation, not just here, not just in Las Vegas, but also throughout the, the entire water sector. So, yep, we do get those calls. We definitely have those conversations with, with other utilities and other, other uh, water agencies. And quite honestly, we also learn from them, you know, so it's, it's definitely a two-way street. Yeah. Well, I, I when I worked at EPA uh, in the water office, WaterSense was part of part of the portfolio there, and I know they always were out there at that conference and giving out awards and and everything like that. So, you all were big great time, hosts. yeah, yeah. WaterSense has been a great partner for WaterSmart Innovations, no no question about it. With with EPA, so yeah, that's yeah. that's always been a good partnership big fan of that program. Well, I think that there'll be a lot of stats probably bouncing around in my head after this conversation, but I think the one is like you mentioned, these 4,000 acres are really like 10% of the water consumption, right? So if you can reduce your total water use by almost you know 10% out of this initiative, that's massive. That's massive. So, And, and think about this, removing grass that is in the medians or the roundabouts or lining our streets, or that's at the grocery store, right? I mean, we don't need grass at the grocery store. Getting rid of that grass, replacing that with something that is more water efficient, plants, trees, right? We need trees. We need tree canopies. We need the shade, especially here in this, in this Mojave Desert environment. We can't have enough shade. You know, those are such better options for us. And they 
it doesn't affect our quality of life. You know, it doesn't have a major impact on anybody to make that kind of a switch to be more water efficient. The impact obviously is a is a benefit on the back end here where, you know, you get additional water savings and that's just more water for the future. You know, one thing real quick, in yeah. 2002, in 2002, really when the onset of this Colorado River drought began, our community was using more than its 300,000 acre foot allocation. Now, we were allowed to do that based on some of the rules and some of the provisions under the law of the river. But that said, we were using more than we were allocated. The drought set in, and it was very evident to us that we needed to take some more rigid and more specific steps in order to drive down water use. And that's really when we implemented uh, our progressive and comprehensive water conservation program that we have today, and that has evolved over the past 20 years. But in doing that, we were able to drive down this community's water use. In fact, since 2002, uh, we are now using 23% less Colorado River water. Our community, however, has grown by nearly 800,000 people during that time, and our per capita water use has dropped by about 45%. So we are providing less water to more people today than we did in 2002, and that's just a demonstration of what this community and what Southern Nevada residents have been doing as far as picking up that conservation ball and moving it forward. And now we're giving them another tool with AB 356 and this new law to get rid of decorative turf to continue to advance that ball even further. Yeah, fantastic. Well, um, I, I mentioned uh, off the recording that I have family out there. Shout out to my brother-in-law, Stephen, and Lenny, and my little nephew, Nello. Uh, so when I get out there to visit them, I'll have to connect and, and check out some of this native landscaping that's going in and, and the progress you guys are making. So uh, Bronson, well, I tell I, you, I, I, I tell you what, Travis, sorry to interrupt you, but we yeah. get you out here in Las Vegas. You come visit your brother. You let me know. We'll get you over to the Springs Preserve. Springs Preserve is a 180-acre facility that we have dedicated to uh, the history of water in Las Vegas, water conservation. Uh, we've got a large botanical garden there that serves as a demonstration garden for water efficiency to help customers that are getting rid of that grass to make smart decisions. They can come. They can get inspired at the gardens. They can see what kind of plants uh, they might want to implement or install within their property. So we'd love to have you here, and we'll get you over to the Springs Preserve. Sounds awesome. Bronson, I appreciate all the information, sharing your, uh, what you're doing out there and, and your time. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you, Travis. I appreciate it. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Mm -hmm.